The scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter in Philippians, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes to the Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Our Father, based on what you have done through Christ, it is truly an amazing thing that we have boldness and access with confidence to you through our faith in Jesus Christ. It used to be for many centuries, in fact millennia, that only the high priest could enter into the most holy place where you dwelt, and only that once a year. And first he had to make an offering for his own sin and then for the sins of his people. But now, because Jesus Christ has made a perfect sacrifice for us, we can come into the holy place, the most holy place, anytime through our faith in Him. We have boldness and access with confidence to You. And so how I pray that we would make a life of turning our eyes upon Jesus and looking full in His wonderful face and watching as the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Oh, how I pray that we would be a people who know what it means to sing about the sweet hour of prayer. May we not be strangers to prayer and strangers to the Word of God. May we know as much about prayer and as much about the Word of God as we know about anything else in this world. Because being in relationship with you is the most important thing on the earth. Nothing else matters without that. So please help us, Lord. Use my weakness And use my words this morning to ignite a passion in your people for your word and for prayer. Please do this, Father, for the glory of your name and the good of your church, I pray. Amen. Every year at Glory of Christ, we do set aside one Sunday to focus on prayer. And as I said last week about the word of God, we do this not just in a theoretical way, but in a practical way. So in other words, we're not just trying to inform your minds about prayer We're trying to inflame your hearts for prayer. We're hoping that a message like this will cause you to give yourself more and more and more to being a person of prayer. As your pastors, we really long for you to know the wisdom and truth of God through the Word of God. And we long for you to know the presence and the fire and the power of God through prayer and by His Spirit. And so we set these two weeks aside last week and this week. As I mentioned last week, what the Lord has put on my heart to share with you this year is something about the relationship between the Word of God and prayer, and more specifically, about the practice and privilege and 
power of praying the Scripture itself back to God. So I want to begin this morning by reading for you a rather lengthy quote from a guy named E.M. Bounds. Pastor Bounds was a 19th century pastor and a chaplain in the Civil War, and he is, to my mind, one of the greatest giants of prayer in all of Christian history. He's an amazing man. So many times he has led me up to the heights of God. Anytime my prayer life has languished, all I've had to do is break out something that he wrote, and it has inspired me again to be a man of prayer. You can get all of his works on prayer. It's a thick book like that, so it's a lot to read. But you can get the entire thing in hardback for $8 at Amazon.com. And I would really suggest that you do that. E.M. Bounds, the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer. So this quote comes from the necessity of prayer. And I actually printed it in your bulletins there if you want to follow along with me. He wrote, Prayer invariably begets a love for the Word of God, and it sets the people to to the reading of it. Prayer leads people to obey the Word of God, and it puts them into the heart which obeys a joy unspeakable. Praying people and Bible-reading people are the same sort of folk. I love that sentence. The God of the Bible and the God of prayer are one. God speaks to man in the Bible. Man speaks to God in prayer. One reads the Bible to discover God's will, He prays in order that he may receive power to do that will. Bible reading and praying are the distinguishing traits of those who strive to know and please God. And just as prayer begets a love for the Scriptures and sets people to the reading of the Bible, so also does prayer cause men and women to visit the house of God to hear the Scriptures expounded. Church-going is closely connected with the Bible, Not so much because the Bible cautions us against, quote, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but because in God's house, God's chosen minister declares His word to dying men, explains the scriptures, and enforces their teachings upon His hearers. And prayer germinates a resolve in those who practice it not to forsake the house of God. Prayer begets a church-going conscience, a church-loving heart, a church-supporting spirit. It is the praying people who make it a matter of conscience to attend the preaching of the Word, who delight in its reading, exposition, who support it with their influence and their means. Prayer exalts the Word of God and gives it preeminence in the estimation of those who faithfully and wholeheartedly call upon the name of the Lord. Prayer draws its very life from the Bible and has no standing ground outside the warrants of the Scriptures. Its very existence and character is dependent on revelation made by God to man in His Holy Word. Prayer, in turn, exalts this same revelation and turns men toward that Word. The nature, necessity, and all-comprehending character of prayer is based on the Word of God. That, in a nutshell is why I want to speak with you today about praying the Word of God. These two things are intricately intertwined with one another. They are wed to one another. And they are crucial aspects of any life that is trying to grow toward God. The Word of God gives to prayer its proper context, its content, its articulation, its transforming power over the human heart, its persuasiveness and pleasure in the eyes and ears of God, its enduring impact, 
and its ability to set the soul on fire. If prayer was a bird, then the Word of God would be the wings. Without wings, the last time I checked, a bird cannot fly. And without the Word of God, prayer has little or no effect at all. It must have its. And on the other hand, prayer is one of the main means by which the Word of God comes to life in us, by which we receive insight from the Word of God, by which we sustain a passion to read it and to study it and to memorize it and to meditate on it and to obey it, by which we increase our desire to obey it, by which we receive power from Him to perform it and to teach it to others, and by which we give glory to God for what we read and understand and walk in. The Word of God, if it was a massive pile of kindling and logs, a big bonfire, then prayer would be the spark that sets it on fire. Without a spark, a fire cannot begin, and without prayer, the Word of God, by and large, lies dormant in our hearts. How deep and significant and life-giving this relationship is between the Word of God and prayer. Between knowing the will of our Father through His Word and knowing the power and passions of our Father and the presence of our Father through prayer. Ian Bounds was so right to say that praying people and Bible reading people are the same sort of folk. Because the God of the Bible and the God of prayer are one God, not two. One God. So this is not a matter of either or in the life of a Christian. Are you a a Bible reading type? Are you a praying type? That's a false dichotomy. It's a both and situation for true and growing Christians. We gotta be Bible people and we have to be prayer people and that is my passion for this church. How I pray that everyone who considers glory of Christ to be their home would be a Bible person and would be a praying person because that's where all the power is. That's where all the joy is. That's where the transformation is. That's where the growth is. That's where it all is. Now, in order for that to become a reality, each of us must learn to ask and answer three questions every time we draw near to God, which I hope is every single day. And the questions are these. Number one, what does the Word of God say? Number two, what does the Word of God mean? And number three, how shall I pray the Word of God back to the Father? So what does it say? What does it mean? And how shall I pray that back to my Father? And those are the things that I want to talk about today. I know that for some of you this will simply be a review. But my hope for you is that God will either use this message to add fuel to the fire that's already burning in your life for praying the Word of God, or that He will rekindle that fire in you through this message. Sometimes when we're walking with the Lord for a long time, we begin to grow cold toward the Lord. We lose our first love. The things of our flesh, the things of this world distract us from Him. And just slowly but surely, one step at a time, the fire kind of dies down and sometimes just reduces to burning coals and burning embers in us. But by the grace and mercy of God, He always, eventually rekindles that flame in us. And sometimes He gives us the grace for that flame to burn even brighter than it burned before. And that's my prayer for you today. If the fire has died down in you, I pray in Jesus' name that the Lord would use this message as a spark to fan you back into flame and that you would have passion again for your first love, for your God and Father, for drawing near to Him with boldness, having access with confidence through our faith in Him. Oh, how I pray that that would be true. For others of you, This will be new stuff, or at least fairly new stuff. And my hope for you is that this message will set you on a path from which you will never turn back ever in your life. Especially children and teenagers, 
Please listen to me for a second. I thought about you a lot this week as I put this message together, and I prayed for you almost every day this week. I prayed for you and prayed for you and prayed for you, because as your pastor, I long for you to love the Bible, and I long for you to love talking with God. And you know that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is just talking with God, just like you talk to your mommy and your daddy. Just talking to God, only you can't see Him. But if you would come in your life to love the Bible and to love talking with God now while you're so young, you would be spared so much needless suffering in your life. And the Lord would use your life in some way, shape, or form to bring glory to His name. He will do it. And you know the thing is, you don't have to be a grown-up to love the Bible and love talking to God. You can do that right now. My wife, when she was seven years old, came to know Jesus. And she came to love the Bible. And she came to love praying to God when she was seven years old. And so you can do this now. And how I pray this morning that Jesus will give you ears to hear everything I'm saying today. That He'll set your life on a path that you'll never turn back from. So please try to listen carefully to me today, okay? And try to note down what I'm saying and then try to practice it. Ask your mom and dad to help you practice it. Because I promise you, if you will learn to love the Bible and learn to love talking with God, you will never, ever, ever regret it. It will be a great thing for you. Now with that, let's talk about the first question. What does the Word of God say? Obviously, there's only one way to figure out the answer to that question. You have to read it. Or you have to study it. Or you have to memorize it. You have to get the Word of God into your mind. But I want to say something a little bit more about that today. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to pay careful attention to the actual words that you're reading. Most of us in this room probably would acknowledge that the Word of God, that the Bible comes from God. That it is inspired by God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that God breathed out the Bible. It is not a human book. It is a divine book. And most of us would acknowledge that. But I want to press on you a little bit this morning to move beyond that theological conviction to where you begin paying attention to the actual words that God inspired. You see, it's one thing to acknowledge that the whole thing is inspired. It's another thing to deal carefully with each word because you know that each and every single word is inspired. But that's the truth. God inspired every and, every or, every is in the Bible. And He put them together in a particular way. And so in order to grow in Him, we must learn more and more. I'm still, I've been through seminary, I have a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees. I'm still advancing in these things. I'm still learning how to pay careful attention to the words of the Word of God. We must always be growing in this because this is the Word to us from God. I can't tell you, friends, how many times I have been preparing a sermon over the years and I'll stop and pray and just say to the Lord, I don't know what to say this week, Lord. I see the text. I love you. I know you've called me to do it, but I don't know what to say. And almost every time I've prayed that to Him, He has said back to me, Charlie, just follow the words. Just follow the words and you'll have plenty to say. Now what I take that to mean is, pay careful attention to the actual words of the Word of God. Think carefully about what they mean and how they're put together, why they're put together that way. And if you will do that, you will always have more than enough to say. And I can testify that that's true. Every time I have obeyed my Father in this and just followed the words of the Word of God, I've always had more to say than I can possibly fit into one sermon, including this morning. I easily, for what the Lord shared with me this week, I could have preached three sermons out of Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Easily. And I promise you, if you will develop the habit in your personal life 
of paying careful attention to the actual words of the Word of God, you will see more content than you could imagine over time as you grow in skill, and you will have much about which to pray. You see, the more you understand the Bible, the more you have to pray back to God. To understand the Bible well is to get content to pray back to God. It's not just a matter of the mind. It's not. This is a relationship God is trying to develop with you. And Ian Bounds is totally right. God speaks to us through His Word. See, that's how we stabilize God's side of the conversation. People who say all, all the time, I hear, I heard a word from the Lord. Well, I don't automatically dismiss that because the Lord leads me in that way as well. But that's not the main way He leads me. 99.99999% of the time, I hear from the Lord as I read His Word. And He makes it alive for me. And He applies it to my life. God is speaking through His Word right now. He is not silent. So we have to deal carefully with that. And then we turn that back around and talk to Him on the basis of His will. That's what this is all about. If you want to increase the power and the effectiveness of your prayer life, if you want to up the joy in your life in prayer, the way to do it is to learn to pray the Word of God. Because I promise you, it will rock your world. It will change you very much. Just about every time that I meet with someone during the week when I'm discipling them or counseling or whatever I'm doing or we're just hanging out, I very often will pray a portion of the Word of God in my prayers when we pray together. Sometimes it's explicit, sometimes not so explicit. But the reason is because it's right there on the top of my brain. I've been mulling it over. I've been thinking about it. Almost every day of my life, I wake up, and before I even get out of bed, I quote some part of the Scripture to myself, and sometimes I lay there and think about it a little bit before I get up. During the day, if I'm driving or if I have a lull in my day, I will often fill that time by quoting Scripture to myself. And at night, almost every night, the way I fall asleep is I quote Scripture to myself. And Kim will testify that it only takes me three to five verses to fall asleep. As soon as I lay my head down and begin quoting a verse to myself, I'm very soon snoring. And I'll tell you, it's a wonderful way to fall asleep with the Word of God ruminating in your mind. Now, when it's time to pray, I'm there with somebody and I'm praying. I have something on my mind that's worth praying. Because the Word of God is just top of the brain. It's just right there. So when it comes to praying the Word of God, reading it and studying it is a great thing. Memorizing it is even better. So I would suggest this pattern for you. Memorize the Word to answer the question, what does the Word say? And then secondly, when you get to the question, what does the Word mean? You just ruminate over that Scripture that you put into your brain and think about it, think about it, think about it. God will grant you insight. And then as He grants you insight, you will have something to pray. pray. So memorize it. Think about it. Pray it back to the Father. That's a pattern that I think will absolutely revolutionize your prayer life. If you would, number one, either begin giving yourself to that, or number two, just grow in it. Grow in it. Some of you memorize really well, and I know that. But grow in it more. Grow in it more. Grow in it more. Now, what I want to do for the next 15 minutes or so is I want to actually practice these things with you. I want to memorize a verse of the Bible with you. And then I want to talk to you about some insights that I have about that verse in the following two verses. And then I want to talk just a little tiny bit about how you would take those insights and turn them back into prayers. Um, several years ago, I was introduced to an approach to Bible memory that's had a, a great effect on my life. I was introduced to this through Bethlehem. It's a little booklet from a guy named uh, Andrew Davis, I think his name is. Yep, Andrew Davis. 
an approach to the extended memorization of Scripture. I noted that for you in your sermon notes this morning. I wrote it there. If you took that title and just Googled it, it's the first thing that comes up on your browser, and then you can either print that out or save it. And uh, whether you follow his advice to a T or not, what he's written will help you a lot. And I'll tell you, it really has revolutionized my ability to memorize Scripture. Before I was introduced to that book, I would strain to memorize two or three or four verses. And now I'm just about, what would I figure out last night? 30 verses away from having the whole book of Ephesians in my head. Right now, by the grace of God, I could quote to you Ephesians 1, 1 to 5.27. And that's by the grace of God and this booklet. This booklet has helped me tremendously. Davis doesn't talk about his plan in these terms, but I like to call his plan the 10 plus 10 plus review plan. 10 plus 10 plus review. When you're trying to memorize a verse, you read it out loud 10 times to yourself. And then you quote it from memory 10 times, peeking if you have to. And then you review the, rever- re- review the verse and review the verse and review the verse until it's really, really solid in your head. So you read it out loud 10 times. You try to quote it from memory out loud 10 times. And then you review and review and review. 10 plus 10 plus review. That's how... I do it. So what I want to do now is turn to Philippians 1.9. I put it up here on the screen for you. And I want to just memorize this with you. Now when I sit down and memorize, the first thing I do is I pray. And I almost every time pray three things. I pray, Father, help my brain to memorize this verse. Super fire up my brain. Do whatever you got to do. Add some oil to it. Whatever you got to do. Make my brain work. Make it fire. Help me get over the obstacles. Help me to memorize this. Number two, Father, help me understand it. And number three, help me obey it. I pray that almost every time. Father, help me do it. Help me understand it. Help me obey it in that order. And then with that, I sit and I read the verse out loud ten times. So let's do that now. Just begin at the beginning and we'll, I'll count them off and we'll read this together ten times. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Number one. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Number five. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. One more time. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now one thing I'm doing when I read that verse out loud ten times to myself is I'm reading in a way that I'm trying to let my eyes take a picture of the words on the page. Because later on, that will help my brain to remember that verse. Especially when I begin to remember remember verse after verse after verse after verse. It amazes me how the mind works. I can remember years ago memorizing verses, and I can tell you where the words are on the page of the Bible that I memorized out of. 
It's just a part of how your brain retains things. So even if you're the kind of person that has a strong brain, and you could read a verse like that only three times and then have it in your mind, I would suggest that you go ahead and read it ten times anyways and carefully let your brain take a picture of it on the page because later on that will help you a lot. And on the other hand, if you're the kind of person who reads this ten times and it just won't get into your brain, you just can't get it in there, well, read it twenty times, read it thirty times, read it forty times. The number of times you read it doesn't matter. What matters is that you honor this principle that repetition in reading will eventually lead to um, retention in memory. Repetition in reading will eventually lead to retention in memory. That's the key. So whether it's 10 times or 20 times or 30 times, just read it and read it and read it until you can quote it from memory. Now, just a quick word to those of you who cannot memorize things quickly. I want you to hear that that is a grace to God for you. It probably does not feel like a grace to you, right? When you're trying to get a verse in your brain and you just can't remember it, you can't remember it, you can't remember it, it probably doesn't feel like grace, but it is a grace. Because for the person who memorizes speedily, they just memorize and go along to the next one. But for you, you have to mull over that Scripture and mull over it and mull over it and mull over it until it's finally in your brain. And that is a grace from God. And I hope you'll receive Him, receive it from Him like that. Now, I've said a few words, so maybe your brain's a little fuzzy, but I want to try to quote Philippians 1.9 together with you from memory. So try with me if you can. We're going to say it ten more times. Try with me if you can to say it without looking up there. But if you have to peek, go ahead and peek, because that's not cheating. Now just, just for to help you, let's look up here and read it together one more time, and then we'll try to quote it. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now try to do it from memory. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. One. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Five more times. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. One more time. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. We just memorized Philippians 1, 9 together. And if you review that verse, that verse will stay with you. If you review it every day, if you think about it in two hours from now, just review it in your head. Think about it tonight when you go to bed. Review it in your head. Think about it in the morning when you get up. Review it in your head. Believe me, in just a few days' time, in a few weeks' time, maybe for some of you, that verse will become a part of you. That verse will stick with you. If you wanted to remember the next two verses, what you do is you go ahead and do the 10-10 part with verse 10. And then quote the two verses together ten times. And then do the next verse, verse 11. 
Uh, read it ten times, quote it ten times, read all three together ten times. And in this way, you will solidify Scripture in your mind, and it will just become part of you. Steve, yesterday in our men's meeting, you said that when you memorize a Scripture, it just becomes part of you, like your hand. And I loved it when you said that, because that's true. When you put the Word of God into your mind, it becomes part of who you are. It becomes how you think. It becomes how you pray. It becomes how you feel. And so I really want to encourage you to give yourself to memorizing the Word of God because not only does it become part of you, but it will ignite your prayer life. Now, because you have this verse in your head, you have something to pray today that is worth praying for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, for your parents, for your church, for your world. May their love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That's something that's worth praying. And the more Scripture you put into your head, the more that you'll be able to do that. So just remember, 10 plus 10 plus review. Or 20 plus 20 plus review. Or 40 plus 40 plus review. doesn't really matter how many times you have to do that. Just press the Bible into your brain. Now, once you've done that, once you've got the Bible in your mind, the next step is to take out a notepad or a journal or whatever you like to use and begin to write down the insights that God gives you into that Word. It's a good thing to see things in the Bible. Believe me, it's a better thing to write them down. Something happens in your mind and in your processing when you begin to write down thoughts that God gives to you. So as you're, as you're rehearsing the verses in your mind, think the question, Lord, what does that mean? What was the author trying to say? How do the words fit together? How does this relate to my life, to my church, to my world? And begin to write those things down. I did that on Tuesday, and then yesterday I kind of brushed things up a little bit with Philippians 1, 9 through 11. So this verse and the following two verses. And Asa, if you'll go to the next slide, that whole section is up there. And here are just ten thoughts. This literally just came out of my pen in about 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe. And then I smoothed it out later yesterday as I was putting my sermon together. Ten thoughts from these verses. Number one, Christians are never done growing in love for God or one another. Rather, we are always to abound in love more and more. Even if we feel like our Father has made us to be genuinely loving people, the message from Him is abound even more. We are not done growing in love until we have reached the fullness of the measure of God's love and since we are, will never reach the fullness of that measure, we are never done growing in love. Number two, love, in order to be true and full, must be wed with knowledge and the skill of discernment. Love without knowledge is as harmful and destructive as knowledge without love. Number three, when our hearts are right toward God and toward others, and when our heads are filled with true knowledge about God and others, we will be able to discern the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, helpful and harmful, and thus we will be able to approve what is excellent and reject what is less than excellent. Number four, approving what is excellent is more than giving intellectual assent to something. It also means that we walk in that thing that is excellent. It means that we obey our Father with gladness and sincerity of heart. It means that we delight to see the fullness of what is excellent manifest itself in our way of life. In this way, abounding in love, knowledge, and discernment causes us to become pure and blameless, prepared for that great and final day when we will be wed with Christ forever. Number five, there is such a thing as the day of Christ, wherein He will separate the sheep from the goats, 
the righteous from the unrighteous, wherein He will welcome the righteous into eternal joy and communion with Him, and wherein He will dismiss the unrighteous into eternal torment, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This day is not a fantasy. It is not the concoction of religious leaders seeking to exercise control over people. It is an absolute certainty. And we will do well to fear and to humble ourselves before Him now that we may meet Him then as a friend and not as a foe. Number six. God's vision for our lives is that we be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Not just that we bear a piece of fruit here and a piece of fruit there. He wants this fruit to be so dominant a trait in our lives that when He comes upon us, He sees most, if not all, of our branches hanging low and heavy with fruit. He does not want us to be like the fig tree which He cursed. He wants us to be well endowed with favor and with fruit for the glory of His name. Number seven. The fruit of righteousness is not the same as righteousness itself. Righteousness is what Christ has done for us and is working in us. The fruit of righteousness is our manner of life that displays the fact of what Christ has done. The fruit does not and cannot earn for us what Christ alone has done, but it is a display of the fact that He has done it. Number eight, the fruit of righteousness comes wholly through Jesus Christ. We are not responsible for any of it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 comes to mind. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So often in the Bible, good works and fruit are identified with one another. And what I'm saying here is all of that fruit comes through God alone. That's what this verse says. Number nine. Since the fruit we bear comes through Jesus Christ alone, all the glory for that fruit rightly belongs to Him and to the Father and not to us. Ephesians 2.7 says that God has done all He has done so that in the coming ages He might show the riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ. And again, since the bearing of fruit is designed to display His grace and kindness, it is also designed to bring glory to His name alone. Finally, number 10. The fruit of righteousness brings glory to God in part by putting the praise of God on our lips. And I'm getting this from to the glory and praise of God. Perhaps the primary way God receives glory from people is through the praises of those who have borne the fruit He's granted. They praise Him because He's worthy. They praise Him because He's so gracious to have allowed them to bear fruit. They praise Him because they can't imagine that a God so holy and mighty and exalted as He would bless and use sinners so sinful and weak and lowly as they. So these are ten insights that I noted in my quiet time on Tuesday morning. And then I expanded them and smoothed it out a little bit on Saturday. And you see, now that I've taken the time to think about the Word, I put it into my brain, it took me about 20 minutes to memorize Philippians 1, 9-11 through 11 this week. I put it into my brain, I rehearsed it, rehearsed it, rehearsed it. I began to ask Jesus, what does this mean, Lord? What does it mean? And then I sat down and I just paid close attention to the actual words. 
Every single word and how they were connected with each other. And these ten insights came out. And now that I've taken the time to do that, friends, I have something to pray that's worth praying, you see? I have something to pray that will be pleasing to my Father because I know that if I pray everything that I just said to you, it is the will of my Father. I know that. And I know it's pleasing to Him because it came from Him. And I am simply breathing back to Him what He has breathed into me. And that is a beautiful thing. That's where fruitfulness and joy in prayer come from. And I say fruitfulness because to pray according to the Word of God is to pray according to the will of God, and that always pleases Him. You can imagine, especially those of you who are parents, our Father loves to hear His will pouring through our hearts and out of our mouths. He loves to hear it. And so it's pleasing to Him and it's fruitful to pray that way. And I say joyfully because when I know that I'm praying in a way that pleases my Father, it causes my heart to rejoice. How many of you loved it when what you did as a child pleased your Father? When you saw in His eyes, not just His words, but in His eyes, that He was pleased with you, what kind of feeling did that give to you? It gave you joy, probably. And when I know that I am pleasing my great Heavenly Father, it gives me great joy. And so I pray the Scriptures because I know that that always pleases Him. And by the way, no matter how He answers my prayers, sometimes our Father says no, even when we pray scriptural things back to Him. But my heart still rejoices then because the main thing I'm trying to do in prayer is not get stuff out of God. The main thing I'm trying to do is get to know God Himself and to be like Him and to express my heart to Him. And then whatever He says back to me, that's fine with me. He's the wise one. I'm the foolish one. So I respect whatever He would say. Oh, beloved, how I pray that you will hear the Word of the Lord to you today. How I pray that you will learn to delight yourself in the Word of God and reading it and in memorizing it, thinking about what it says and how I pray that you will learn to pray it back to God. No matter what you've thought about what I've said this morning, please just try doing what I have laid out before you today. You will see what I'm talking about. It about. There's a lot of treasure, a lot of joy hidden here for you, and I pray that you will jump into it. If you're just learning to pray the Scripture, then I would suggest that one thing you do is pray some of the prayers that are already in the Bible. And so I've listed, I think, five or six of Paul's prayers in your sermon notes for you today. And what you could do is turn to those passages and either just study them or you could actually memorize them. Think about what Paul is saying and then just begin praying that back when you pray for yourself, when you pray for your family, when you pray for the church, when you pray for this city, when you pray however you pray, pray the content of that prayer, maybe for a week or a whole month and then move on to the next one. I promise you, if you will do that, it will teach you so much about how to be a man or woman of God. And so again, I pray that all of us, including me, will have ears to hear this morning and that we will grow more and more and more in this grace of praying the Word of God. And with that, let me close by praying Philippians 1, 9-11 over us now. Let's pray. Father, I join Paul in praying that You would cause our love to abound more and more and more at this church. I have heard over the year and a half that we've been here from some people that we're a very warm church, and I've heard from others that we're a cold church. And I accept both things. And I pray simply, no matter what the case is from your point of view, I pray that you would cause us to abound more and more. Make us to be loving, warm, gracious, merciful people, I pray. And not only that, but cause us to abound with knowledge and all discernment. God, make us wise people. 
Make us wise according to your word. As David said in the Psalms, he said, Make me wiser than my teachers and do so by your word. How I pray that you would make that to be true here. And I pray, Father, that as you do that, you would teach us to approve what is excellent. That every person in this church may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. That we would be prepared for that day when you come to separate the sheep from the goats. That will be a great day for some and a terrible day for others. And how I pray that by the mercy of your heart, you would make it a great day for all of us. And I pray, Father, that you would fill us with the fruit of righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ, that you might gain much glory and much praise for yourself through our lives. Oh, Lord, let all of these things come to pass. In the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.